Sunday, welcome back to Lynn Blurred Sings the Blues. We have, oh my gosh, the most beautiful people I could possibly ever want to spend my Sunday morning with. I'm Kylie Too Smart to my, what is this, my left, my right, it's morning. <laughs> yes, sometimes me. And of course, Prowess the Testament looking mighty fine, mighty glorious in your Belmont tape shirt, ma'am. Represent more grind. Flex on us all, please. Um, so yes, uh, if you are not familiar with the podcast, welcome, hello. We're just going to start it off with a how's your week. So Prowess, you want to start it off? How's your week? Um, yeah, yeah, this week was a little bit of a hell week at work, but Despite all of that, you know, there, it was a it was a good one. It's um, trying to get um, how do I say this? It's like at, at that time when everything just converges on each other. And I also spent the last six weeks, as everybody knows, being sick. So being able to, I feel like where I'm not coughing and I'm not a you know viral incubus of the plague, I feel like you know that I, I I'm glad that things in timeline everything is sort of landing now because I probably wouldn't have been able to really officially do very much not do this level of intensity a couple weeks ago. It would have been hard for me. So I'm really excited. I got my, my credit cards have been re restored. My driver's license. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, all, all the drama. Uh. Yeah, all of that has, has I've now gotten every credit card back and, you know, uh, resent to me and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm good on that area. Um, and just I'm, I'm working today to, to do some extra upkeep to my vehicle to get the key fobs changed and all that kind of stuff just to prevent error while I'm, I'm gone. I'll be in South by Southwest uh, on Tuesday, I'll be in Austin for that. So just making sure that, you know, no one can rifle through things while I'm gone and just getting that, which, you know, if I have a new key fob and it's not even here, you can't really triangulate it the signal. So that's a positive thing. Um, the the other thing I kind of wanted to talk about, which was just the fact that Jesse Smollett this week uh, was, was officially sentenced um, after he had been convicted of lying to police and that hate crime um, hoax. Uh, he was sentenced to 150 days in jail in a county jail, in a Cook County jail at that. Yeah. Um, in order to pay $120,000 of restitution to the Chicago police and then a $25,000 fine, which is the typical fine for making false uh, false reports to police. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's just, you know, I, I feel a little some way about it. I've been dealing with the, the outpouring of people who disagree with me and that's fine. And I, you know, I welcome those, those conversations because I do understand the you know the gravity of what he did i just think that it is a very very harsh crime um, i think because he's a yeah. celebrity he got pinged so hard don't you think yeah i think that there was no leniency because of his um because the fact that he is celebrity black and gay and this was a um a crime that he said was a racist and homophobic attack so I think people were like, you know, the fact that you are in this community, this kind of 
um, it's very meta, I, I guess, and I don't know, but I feel like the, the he has 30 months of probation. I have a real big issue with that because there are people who have killed people. So we, I mean, there, there are folks still walking around scot-free, as we know, um, who have done a lot more, you know, severe crimes and harsh harsh crimes than a police report or disorderly conduct or something. Oh, totally. Who are, yeah, who have avoided prison time, have no sentence for any punishment. Um, and I'm thinking of like, think about the guy, Kyle Rittenhouse or whatever, him, um, where people were lost their lives. He didn't get, he didn't even get so much as a house arrest. Um, and it's just where, and where Jesse Smollett's tears or his anger or his outburst in court was seen as inappropriate and like people making, you know, memifying it. But this boy crying was seen as, you know, oh, this little baby that we're, you know, we have to protect and that this is trauma for him. We have to make, so it's just, um, it's it's very sad. I, I, yeah, I, I feel it's bad. It's so weird for me um, when you see like the full videos, uh, especially like of what he was saying, because it really was just clearly saying like, I'm not suicidal. If anything happens to me in there, it's not because I chose to take my life. And it's weird that people like take those moments and make them into memes. Yes, that to is. To me, like, that's just so bizarre. So I'm just like, who, who where, what? <laughs> what's wrong? What's wrong? Society. What's wrong with us? What are y'all doing? Are y'all okay? Y'all are not okay. Um, yeah. Do you think, finally, that they the lack of empathy? the people that, the, I was wondering if people who are laughing and kind of making memes out of it, do they know about, like, Sandra Bland or anyone else that's been locked in, like, a county jail and has been, you know, uh, has been said that they've committed suicide or um are people aware of that or maybe it's just or is it ignorance or is it just the fact i'm gonna make fun of it anyway <laughs> we all know the answer here <laughs> I, yeah I, mean, I feel like it's very difficult at this point for everyone across the board like i feel like it's not just like a black issue like this is this what's well known that our criminal justice system is not just and that when you go <laughs> into some of these uh, institutions and you end up dead mysteriously that there's like a thing that has happened that is wrong <laughs> that should not be happening I think we can all recognize that like I don't think that's like you can really claim ignorance on that one like maybe if you're a child maybe yeah yeah, if you're, yes, agreed. Yeah, I, it's I just sad. All it's of like, our grown ages, we, sh we should all know what's up. Our big already. age, we need to know. I just, yeah, I'm like, I don't find it funny. I'm like, listen, I would be doing the same thing if I had a platform like that um, as much as possible. I've seen people update their Facebook page to say this, you know, because they want people to know that like, I'm not suicidal. If you ever hear that from me, this is not how I would have chosen to take my life that please, induce you know some sort of investigation remind my family that you know and i'm like i don't see anything wrong with it but anyway so that was my week was going well than that and i was just like i'm very disappointed with you know the justice system it's we have used this to i feel like someone even said because um 
Jesse Smollett is like, like you said, V is a public figure, that they think that it had a lot to do with his sentencing and the prosecutors were really trying to make a case out of him or make an example out of him or whatever. Definitely. Yeah. And I also wouldn't be surprised that there's also some, sorry I'm eating, but like there's some repercussion of when you say make an example out of him, I also see that cops going overboard or the justice system going overboard because they want to use him as example to scare the rest of us. Like, even though I'm not going to be over here being the boy who cries wolf, but, you know, it's the same thing that you were saying to Sandra Bland, where it's like, I don't want to be in jail. And then something happens to me and then they get super gaslighty about it because they want to use him as some prime example. Like, And that's, that's something that I feel like folks try to do is that they'll try to latch onto any wrong that is happening that is associated with, you know, black people and then, you know, justify their wrongdoings for any other person who is also black. So that's the fear that I feel that is coming from this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's whack. It's wiggity whack. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, I guess I should talk about my week. Uh, I don't even know, I don't even know where my week went. Uh, (laughs) Feliz fin de semana. I'll tell you that I learned that this week. (laughs) So I am sprucing up the Espanol. Um, I've been kind of putting it off for years. I, I can speak Muy poquito. Uh, But I want to be able to, you know, be a little bit more fluent. Um, So that's a goal for me in the next five years, because I know language is not something that you can just learn overnight. It's commitment, dedication. How do I immerse myself? Uh, Luckily enough, I have some friends who have been very supportive of this part of my journey. Um, Because like, the Spanish language to me is something that has been kind of special, um, meaning that I've been surrounded by a very good family growing up. And I know she's not listening to this podcast today, but I'll let her know that I mentioned it. But like, I've been surrounded by a very good family growing up. She's my best friend. But I just felt so bad that I couldn't communicate with her mom and her mom would feed me and like, you know, just be maternal to me and just be so nice and like gentle and sweet. And so it just hurts me to this day sometimes where I'm like, I would see her every so often. I still can't communicate with her and vice versa because, you know, English is hard, but she knows more English and I would know Spanish. So I'm trying to get a little bit more fluent. And then also like I find myself in random situations, especially here in California, which I'll talk about the irony of that in a second, that I have had situations where someone's just asking for help in Spanish and then they make the assumption that I know how to speak it. And I feel bad because I want to be helpful. And then I'm just going to be like, no hablo espanol, lo siento. You know, and so at least they'll get that part, but they'll try to like communicate with me because usually like with the help that I get, that people usually come across in public, it's always like, hey, I my tire's out. Or like, hey, um, yeah. I can't reach that in the grocery store. <laughs> and so, um, so sometimes I just want to make sure that when I communicate that I 
I want to be able to be bilingual. And I think it's just courtesy in a, gen in a general sense, just to learn another language. Like, um, I yeah. feel like in America that being bilingual has never been a priority in the education system. It's always been just kind of a check mark. And I want to like not be that way. Like, and, and also like there's families that don't really, you know, in a sense where it's like being bilingual is something that you raise an eyebrow at unless you're like some sort of like luxury language. And when I say luxury language, I'm talking about languages like like French or or German, because like it seems so cool to do it and like not like, you know, fancy. Um, but when we talk about Spanish, I feel like there's this like weird dark cloud over the Spanish language that needs to be lifted up because we got to support our browns, brown, our brown brothers and sisters. So and with all that being said, I'm just happy to learn a new language and to refresh on it and to learn to read a little bit more fluently every day. It's been feeling really nice. So that's how my week has been going. Awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. I love that. Um, speaking of reading, uh, so this past week I discovered um, The People Could Fly. Um, by Virginia Hamilton. It's like a collection of folk tales that she wrote um, in 1985. And it's basically a collection of tales um, following um, like the African American journey and how like flying represents like emotional and spiritual freedom um, and, and still having that um, capability to and strive for a future that is much better than the current one that you are existing in and really building towards it. Um, mm -hmm. So that was something that really like resonated with me this week and um, the artwork is phenomenal. The storytelling is beautiful. I 10 out of 10 recommend you guys check that out. So that was just something that like really helped uplift me this week. Um, I also traveled and got to see a childhood friend um, over the weekend in San Francisco and we just we talked like and it was just like we we, ha we hadn't seen each other in like a decade um, but it was just like we picked up right where we left off and it was just like being a kid again um, and we had gone to like a Japantown and had really tasty ramen and went around thrifting and I got this like awesome like vintage rainbow dress that I'm rocking today so nice, right? Ooh. Ooh. So I was like, that's probably going to be um, like one of the last, just like fun, frivolous things I do for a while. I'm about to get get into grind mode, beast mode, while we level up and get organized. Um, I'm trying to think what else happened in my week. Oh. Man, this, this Coogler business really did throw me. Atlanta, what's what's happening? It be your own people Ooh, sometimes. Coogler, yeah. Your own people. It was Coogler. No, I'm just joking. Who is he? I'm like a uh, Black Panthers director. If you guys don't know, because he's super low key too. Like I wouldn't have known his name really, um, like right off the bat. I don't think. Like if he walked in, I would be like, oh my god, that's. That's Ryan Coogler, like I wouldn't really know. Um, but yeah. so he went to a bank to withdraw some money and he just wrote out like on a sheet, 
and handed it to the teller like can you please like withdraw this much from my account i'm trying to be discreet like i get it i wouldn't want to announce that i'm going to be withdrawing like twelve thousand dollars like in a bank full of people i don't know um he also walked in by itself like he's just he's running errands he didn't bring security you know what i mean like he's just doing the regular precautions as a black person rocking in america as he should um doing his own due diligence he had his debit card he had his id so this there should be no reason why um the police should have been called and why they treated this man like he was trying to rob the bank like it's his own money out of his own account (laughs) and then it just uh, just the, the audio people being like good job and i'm just like good job for bad job you you were all doing a bad job you i'm letting the wrong you know superhero you got the wrong man i don't know who like kugler should have just you know not worn a beanie that day i'm just joking he can he can be, be presenting as any way he wants to be like they just should have done the be- like the better the proper diligence of just checking his id and shit look he look had at it on the ID. He, he had his work id on his hip which is even worse so it's badge uh, which ha- also is a secondary form of ID that has a workplace like which was when he's being handcuffed you can see in plain sight and I'm just like how did the police not even like be like let's see what this like it's just the whole thing is, is trifling 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 like and it what really got me uh, was the dispatch call because the, the officer was like or the, the dispatcher was like um, ma'am, is this an actual customer? Like, did they bring in their their debit card and their ID? And the woman behind the counter said yes. And she then admitted that she didn't even really look at the ID. So, and I was like, so you feel uncomfortable because you can't identify this person, but they gave you identification and you just didn't look at it. Like, yeah, no, I mean, the, the audacity. The man who directed Fruitbell Station Right, it's sort of like it's so picture in picture or meadow, whatever that like the circumstances, which end that ends in very dire, you know, circumstances with the violence on against black bodies. It's always here, and that you know a sudden movement, and he could have lost his life in that same situation, um, and that we don't tend to think of internalized racism, but we have to be, especially in a place I'm. I'm you know, I live in a predominantly black community and very much it's also the wealthiest community, black community in the country. So it is unlike, you know, it's very likely that you're going to have, some, you know, you've been trained. There are certain trainings that you're given when you work in those communities, especially on how to like, you don't know who you could be serving when you're in a restaurant. You're, you could be serving a, a Supreme Court justice. You could be serving, you know, an NBA player. That is likely here. And I feel like that, I don't understand how Atlanta has not, there really has to be some better implicit bias training for for people. This is a training issue to me. And I'm like, I just, more so, but it could have ended, you know, in a situation that was much more, you know, much worse. But Bank also, of America. Like, yeah. if you're going to rob a bank, like twelve thousand dollars is not exactly. <laughs> like, who, I mean, who's to the person robbing the bank, dollars? that is that is a lot of money. That that's a goal. I'm just joking. I mean, yeah. like, if you you ready to go down? Like, I 
Give me fifty. Give, give me, give me That's something. Why I'm disgusted. A retirement right fund. Twelve thousand exactly. doesn't go far. Don't even nowadays. make sense. It's like, girl, what were you? You know, first, first of all, what kind of Bank of America? I'm still looking at y'all sideways. What kind of training do y'all have? You know, it, it's just very, you know, already discriminatory lending practices that y'all are being side eyed by. But this, on top of it. And then not knowing, like here they have taught people to not count out your money, even at an ATM when you're withdrawing it. They have asked people because of the rash of the rash of crimes, like you're being targeted. Do not count your money in plain sight. Go to your vehicle or someone safe. Drive away. People are like, go to the casino here and get followed, and they get they get uh, home invasions. Yep. So <clears throat> it's just, or you use an Amex card somewhere and that's like a thing. You use a black Amex card, you're probably going to be followed and targeted. So a lot of people just choose, you know, not to. How do they not know that though? I'm like, the training. Bank of America, y'all trifling. I mean, <laughs> it's just like doctors, right? Like you're not going to always get the right proper care and advice about your care and advice. If anything, you might leave the facility being traumatized because they said something that was out of pocket out of practice so yeah no i the older i get the more i'm like i'm not surprised it sucks that this happened that this happened to the to our dude the guy who basically brought us such a beautiful film with chadwick boseman but i just i'm not surprised anymore by the behaviors of people because people be like what you say all the time (laughs) paris trifling there's yeah there's always like some weird motive that just what's the word i'm looking for wow my brain is foggy foggy uh there's always a really there's always just some dumb bullshit where somebody like puts their biases in the workplace and then it gets them like you know blown up it's just i don't know that's why people like when they're when they're when they when we ask for people's awareness and they're not ignorant take me out oh we got a new follower Hello, new follower. Hi. Yeah. Welcome. Who followed us? I want to know. View the I dashboard. Yeah. Agent Smith, also... seventy-eight. Oh, Thank you God. so much. I love it. Hi, Agent <laughs> Smith. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's so good to see you. Anyway, closing my thought. Amazing it, producer. <laughs> sometimes it be our own. Sometimes it be our own. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So let's go ahead like and cool move. Our own. Right. Right. Let's go ahead and move along. What what is next? What is up next, Kai? Our topic of discussion today. Speaking of <laughs> racial disappointments in America. <laughs> oh no! Did I freeze? No, you're still here. We're still with okay. you. We're with you. I was you. like, oh, did I freeze? Stay Ante- with me. The, yes. the anticipation um, is real. The anticipation. I I think we wanted to talk about um, how we are constantly having to provide proof um, to legitimize ourselves. We have to show up with the accolades um, and like be top tier, best of the best on our shit 24-7. Black legitimacy is like always in question no matter what arena you happen to be in. And you could be the top tier in that arena and people will still find some way to try and question your they may ask you for your elementary school grades um like things that don't even have any like uh, 
influence or, or validity to what the work is that you're doing now, but people will still try you. Um, and I think what really brought this to the forefront or what really like made this conversation the topic for today um, was what was happening with Katanji Brown Jackson, right? Um, so prowess, because I know like you had all of the yeah. wonderful things to say <laughs> yeah. about this woman and what's going on. So let's let's talk about it. Who's Katanji Brown Jackson? What is she going through? Why should we all be yeah. aware? I think this is a, the, I call this like the deservedness myth. It's around the fact that like, no matter what, I mean, in a, in a period of time for, for Black women who continue to um, suffer from imposter syndrome, you know, even the most wide, widely respected and, um, you know, highly regarded of us have to constantly, you know, no matter how credentialed or experienced you are, that you're never eminently qualified to do anything, let alone, it doesn't even have to be at the level of Supreme Court justice, that we somehow sneak by, um, you know, these legitimate pathways, and then we, we hide concrete evidence to show that we don't to, to hide that, right? That we snuck by, that our somehow our our grades and our standards, we don't meet the standards and that we always have to- through. They're like, who let you in? Yeah. <laughs> like, who, yeah, like we just went around the side, like, well, we know how you're here, you know? And it, it's that constant, like sort of needing to demonstrate your worth and demonstrate that you are, you know, deserving. And oftentimes, which we know tends to happen is that you're just, you're presenting those credentials to for people that are a lot less qualified than you, um, the people that are calling that into question. Um, and it's like with the Harvard Law School degree and position as the editor of the law review, like all of the things that she she's one of the most brilliant jurists um, that would be <laughs> that has been nominated to the Supreme Court in like 25, 30 years. And the fact that uh, so many, you know, I won't even get into Brett Kavanaugh and his, and his the, the scrutiny that was thrown out of the window with his nomination. But, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> way, way in, V. <laughs> Everyone like, likes beer. Yeah. I, mean, I like that, beer, too. Spent all his oh college God. days, you know, drunk. Um... And then Tucker Carlson, who, you know, again, has no no legal experience at all. Um, and in the fact that parallel, you know, paralleling this against like Trump, who, you know, did he deserve a spot at University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, much less the presidency, we won't even get into that one. Just the fact that like, he obviously, he did not have the grades to go. He did not have the scores to go. And they're demanding to see this woman's LSAT score. <laughs> like, they're not even saying, let me see your, you know, determine if you have your, if your degree from Harvard actual. I want to see if you, you know, where you pedigreed or where you, you know, at the, at the level of success to go. That, that meritocracy or whatever, that everything that that's, somehow called into view when when it's us and it's and it's all across the board but that because we don't have you know we don't benefit from generational privilege um and so the fact that 
this is the way that they like they benefit from generational privilege that is a thing um i can't go in and say my grandfather built this particular you know building at whatever university this isn't named you know when you'd see classmates and stuff i'm sure you guys experience the same thing where you're like oh this building is like you've got the same last name as this building right like or some you know particular location or something around there it's like the you're a part of the Meyerhoff family. Oh my gosh, you know, the the level of, of what you can get away with. And it's just, is really sad. It's sort of just like this woman who was so talented and it's not just her, it's across the board. It's, it's all of us that have to, you know, V, I was thinking about when you were talking about even being like a woman trombonist and, you know, having oh. to, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, like, no, I... I can definitely dive right into this because mm, the way that the brass world has done us dirty. Um, shout out to collect our chromatic brass collective where we're trying to lift that up, set that on the table and say, now listen, the room, the space, the mud, the times that we try to make our own space, the space gets sucked away from us because it's a boys club. It's a white boys club. And we like playing brass too as black, brown, Asian women like like so this is our space now you can't come in here but yeah, yeah. no it, it's definitely a huge thing in the brass world where it's like if you walk into the space I had a wonderful conversation with uh, Jennifer Wharton when I had a lesson with her she is a um, East she is a uh, East Coast based trombonist actually from Pittsburgh California um, and she is a white woman, but she knows the nonsense. But we both have talked about how we have to become more palatable in these spaces by being funny, being humorous, being cute, um, mm. in order for us to be accepted into the space. And like, not all women have that, you know, as part of their personality. It's it's something that we have to kind of cloak on ourselves, like, like you know, a facade. Performative femininity to soften. <laughs> yeah the approach yeah like why do i like ipas out of nowhere like which is a huge trombone thing like trombonists love their beer that's a stereotype uh, but you know me trying to like learn how to be more like you know have good taste buds for beer is like a, is a symptom of that so like it's <laughs> sorry i I, ta I was just roasting brett kavanaugh about his beer and i'm over here talking about beer <laughs> um but yeah like it's just it's just real annoying um that you know even when walking into these spaces like we have to be prepared to hear some nonsense from some old timer saying some like you know effed up like thing that was acceptable back in his day but not palatable in the grand year of 2022 um and then also the amount of racism that i've experienced in the in the brass world where it's like i've been told that i haven't been good enough even though look at me i'm three albums deep so like get the fuck out of here with that nonsense saying that i'm not good enough like I'm tired of it. Like I'm I'm now old enough to like not let that phase me. But oh boy, going into like music school with that, yeah. And then also the one time, you know, speaking of Jesse Smollett, Smollett, um, you know, to kind of hit back to that, the way that punishment is projected on Black people, and this will translate into what we're talking about now. I did get in trouble in music school. I did take all of the heat. I did fuck up. Like, point blank. Right. I messed up. 
Um, it was a situation where I shouldn't have been drinking on campus. And one of the folks who was drinking with me on campus was still 20 years old, not 21 yet. Um, that person had to go to the hospital. And then people who were involved said that I was the provider of the alcohol. So I got in trouble. But did anybody else in that scenario get in trouble? No, they did not. I was the one who took the hit. I was the one who got probation on her transcript. I was the one who had to do class. I didn't actually do classes because they said, you're 23 years old. You're not allowed to do classes on alcohol. So like, what do we do? And they, and the built the, some of the staff in the music building who are all white, they were trying to vote me off of the, out of the department. And they were saying like, you know, I don't think she's very responsible, even though it's like my one offense. I don't think she's that responsible. I think she gives us a bad look in the department. She needs to leave. And like, there was other staff members who were like, hell no. If you think she needs to leave, then we need to shut down every single fraternity at this school. Every single fraternity. The reason why I was being targeted the way that I was being targeted is because look at my voluptuous body. Look at my luscious dark skin. Look at my way that my hair is unapologetically curly. That was why I was targeted because I was a threat. And I was not palatable like those other white boys in in that building or even the men in that building. And so it's just funny to me that with all the hard work that I put in, that not only that people try to put me as illegitimate, but also the way that I received punishment was significantly more higher than the standard student. I've seen professors drink with their students and those professors didn't even get reprimanded. Those students didn't even get kicked out. But the reasons why is because they were white or white passing. So totally relate to this episode 110%. Because, like, don't get me wrong, I know I was in the wrong, but also kids do stupid shit, right? Kids do stupid shit all the time. People take risks all the time. People will smoke weed, do coke, do whatever, do whatever. People will jump off of buildings, like, to get a high. And yet, it's excusable or phenomenal when you're white. But when you're a black person, it's reckless. Right. So, like, don't get it fucking twisted with me. So when I see this uh, Supreme Court justice getting sworn in and there's all this pushback, she is going to shine with that crown on her head. I, I'm just so disappointed that like people make all this stuff. And then like even everybody else. And here's the other thing, too, that I, I get all messed up about this is like, you're right. You're talking about how people don't even have like degrees and they're getting positions because they're white because their right. daddy gave them a handout because their mommy gave them a handout. Like their campaign that one time went really well. And it's like, it's because of that generational privilege that we forget to address in those situations. Like they're a prodigy of this, but once black people do the work, go to college, get degrees, keep their image clean. It's like, it's not good enough. Yeah. See, that's, that's something that I um, really struggled with, um, especially in like the Pacific Grove area. I had went from going to um, Dork, which was a private school, to going to PG High. And um, by the time I got to PG High, because I was on an advanced track, they didn't really have much available to me that was challenging or engaging in any way. So I spent like my last two years in high school just pretty much um, breezing through uh, it was predominantly white school 
um, predominantly wealthy families who've all known each other since like preschool. So it was, it was a very um, isolating experience as well. And I had a mix of really great and amazing teachers, um, but then a few that definitely were older and um, very racist. Like I didn't get to walk with my class um, because I had one teacher in particular who had come out of retirement and was actually just like subbing for the year. And um, it was during this time when I was doing poetry out loud. Um, so I was traveling, I was doing a lot of the competitions. Um, yeah. I had actually won that competition and it funded the English department for that school. Um, but during this time, <clears throat> I was getting really into a lot of the history of this area with the Black Panthers, with the Soledad brothers, um, with just looking at some, with Angela Davis, um, and just learning the history of this area and bringing it to the forefront. And I was very vocal about it. And um, I had one particular teacher who just didn't agree. Even though I had done all of the work assignments, I turned them in, I even uh, like, went to adult school to make up any assignments that I had missed while I was on the road. Um, so I had all of my credits and was told they put, they created a whole separate award for me and then told me I couldn't walk with my class. I had family that had flown out from Hawaii um, because, and the reason they gave me, it wasn't my scholastics, it was image. They said I didn't fit the image. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like you're you're not like a student that we would want to like promote is coming. I was like, I just funded your whole English department with my skills, and you have a problem with the fact that I'm saying that this area is racist or that we have a race issue or that I'm even just talking about historical events because it wasn't even like I was calling out specific people. These are just historical events that these things happen. And they're real and I'm talking about it. And now it's like, oh, we don't want to have you associated. It was really bizarre. It was like we had gotten a new principal and the new principal wasn't trying to shake up things with like the old old money, people who are funding the school, right? This, this lady. Yeah. Uh, so I, I experienced just like some really bizarre racial behavior from my school. Um, I couldn't for the life of me get an appointment with a counselor to actually apply to colleges. So when all of like, I'm doing the touring thing and doing the poetry thing and all of my classmates are talking about the colleges that they're they are applying to and um, like their parents are alumni and how the process is so easy for them. And then when I go to look and see what it's like to apply to some of these colleges, it was just like, yo, this application fee is $300 first off um it's like way more than i don't know what i thought or what i was even prepared for because you have to understand like my parents didn't go to college so i did not have that background my parents you know my right mom, you, you needed that extra i no, needed that yeah. extra you know my mom had like 10 years clean i think at that point um maybe a little less but you know she's figuring out adulting too and we're both kind of almost at a similar level. Like she could not help me in that arena because she also didn't know. And it's it's um, being ignorant or having a lack of awareness to something 
uh, doesn't mean that you have a lack of intellect, right? And so there are so many opportunities that I feel like I missed out on. I won't necessarily say missed out on. I definitely created my own separate track. And I think that's something that we do uh, as a people that's like incredible. We find our own ways and our own tracks to success because we know that the system is flawed and we still have to operate either within it or outside of it. And depending on um, what, the, what the risk is operating outside of certain systems, you know, that could be deadly or that could really be a detriment for how you're able to pass along generational wealth. And so this issue of um, having your accolades questioned of, of saying, oh, you, you have to go through this path in order to get to this stage is really like another tool of white supremacy in keeping people, specifically people of color from being able to actually have any kind of cohesive, you know, upbringing and ways to pass along wealth that are not disrupted and ways to pass along knowledge that it won't be disrupted so that we can be seen as you know, viable functioning people, which is sad that we even have to like do that. <laughs> like that, that's, that's where our moral compass is like, oh, if you have education, like you're a good person. If you make money, you're a good person. If you look a certain way, you're a good person or you're worthy of this position. <laughs> or you're worthy. You're yeah. worthy. Yeah. Proving all, that too is like, what, why do you have to, proving that to someone who is not even qualified or deserve it of the of the fact that they they have no merits it's almost like what why are you providing it you're not an objective standard of merit you are you know who who asked you you know it's a it's a Tucker Carlson there's one in every arena and it's like no one asked you and I, I I just think it's kind of you know it's out of date at this point that like do you ever ask a physician I have never once wanted to even know what a physician's MCAT score is um, I don't think it's relevant to be very honest to their to their quali qualification to mm -hmm. uh, of care to provide care to me. I think you know the fact that they have some backgrounding um, and and whatever my particular thing is or whatever you know I'm seeing them if it's my OBGYN or whatever it is that they have that experience right and that they all, their bedside manner. I care about those types of things. Um, on occasion, I don't really even care about, I, I feel like the idea that my doctor went to a certain medical school or did their, um, did their uh, internship at a, at a certain or the residency at a certain school, because I feel like that the only way that sometimes makes a difference, and, and you guys know this more, sometimes it might be a thing of like, if the person is locally, like if they were, they may have um, experience like they probably have more experience with people of color depending on where they are so like saying I won't I want to have a, a black doctor I recognize as a privilege of being in the area that I'm in that like I have a million and one black doc physicians here but depending on where you are in the country you might you know you might want to look and see where they went to residency just because it's like oh have you ever had expertise or dealing with, you know, communities that are outside of yours um, or less privileged communities or whatever. But other than that, I don't, like, why does it matter? And I feel like that those are the things we have to like train. Again, it's the issue of training a little bit of like being able to say implicit bias is so 
pervasive in everything mm -hmm. that we do yep. that, you know, no matter how hard work and talent and, and all of those, you know, quantifiable things that you can say you have done in your career or in your life, um, that you always will have to justify your thug. I love the, the Jay-Z, like, uh, that song means something different for me at this point, right? It's sort of like... <laughs> Because he is no longer that he's no longer having to justify my street cred or my thug. Like I have to justify my thug in the in the boardroom. Now I have to justify that I deserve a place to be here. That yes, I come from selling drugs, but it's no different than like your grandfather. It's no different from the Kennedys. It's no different from you know a lot of a lot of the the wealth of the one percenters in this in this country are most of them have some criminal past um, or unsavory past, whether it's mob ties or whatever those those look like. So it's just very interesting that, you know, that we have to continue to go through this and that we, to to your point, Kylie, earlier about like we, it's sometimes your own people, it's sometimes us, you know, bringing those kinds of attitudes. And I, I remember that happened with Kamala a lot it was very much like justify your blackness to us. Um, oh, so, totally. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. I feel like it even comes from our own people, especially those who are the older generation where they're yeah. setting the bar of like, if you want to be good enough as a black person, you have to be a certain type of somebody, you know? And with the Kamala Harris thing, Kamala's funny because her parents have a robust background of being very successful. And yeah, and so like the thing is like that's generationally ramped up whether if they had to struggle to get there themselves but mm -hmm. that generation in particular had to adjust to whiteness and so Kamala herself I'm sure had to adjust to whiteness to fit into the cookie cutter of that system and so now she has this mindset like well if I had to do it then everybody else after me has to do the same thing and what's really great about us is like our generation is because of the amount of information that we have access to now it ain't like that anymore yeah. like well yeah. also i think what you said be like the amount of information but it's also the imagery because we're so global now we can see how dignitaries dress in other nations we can see what presidents are looking like in other nations who are people of color because hello black is the global majority mm -hmm. you can see what success looks like um in africa in europe in asia in all of these other places where um it's still considered professional to wear cultural patterns and um cultural attire to have your hair yeah. done in, in natural design um <laughs> isn't that suspicious and... isn't <laughs> that <laughs> suspicious it's like the thing they judge, they judge us on in this country yeah it's like outside i, I yeah again those the artifacts i feel like because that is a major thing has a lot to do with i mean for for black women especially hair means a lot your uh makeup you know what those types of things where you have to like adorn yourself to look very different in the workspace to be seen as taken seriously. That's a whole different issue of like, you know, of the idea around where they have to do. I, I worked in sales and I remember there's this gentleman who was from, uh, 
some some privileged class of, of, of folks down in Mobile, Alabama, which is just like, and I have family in Mobile too. <laughs> Those two things just clashed in my mind. I'm sorry, some privileged class. Some privileged class in Mobile, Alabama. And, you know, and it's just the, as he was talk, he would be talking about something and using that to explain the fact that he didn't have these interact, like I didn't get a chance to meet my first person of color until I got to college. And I was like, in Mobile though, like that's that was a you choice, you know, that, that I feel like Kanye, <laughs> this was a choice. I, <laughs> not to ever quote him, but you know what I mean? Those kinds of things, like people have to, you are, you are required as a citizen of the world and as a citizen to be, you know, educated about have cross-cultural, you know, education. Some sort of if if you don't edify yourself, like whose fault is that? And I feel like there is a lot of that that's just like Trump redeemed a lot of those people to be like, if you're culturally ignorant, it's okay that you No. It's not okay. No, 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 no. It's just not okay. Like you have to never trust a man who eats a steak well done. Exactly. Those kind of like, you know, I'm I'm just you know, like people watching you and uh, um you know I've I've always felt like that is a thing. My grandmother was very decorum focused and because she was from the south and so learning how to uh, set the table was an experience like for her that was like no I want you to set the table so when you sit at a dinner table you know which fork to eat with. Yeah. That's something that like my grandmother but my parents weren't didn't even their generation wasn't even thinking of that. It was like, look, but fork by eat by any means necessary. <laughs> but my grandmother was still in the like, you have to wear modesty cloth if you wear. So, you know, those types of things that are still ingrained in me are mostly focused from like that era. But like, you have to be culturally, con- I would, you know, I have met a lot of my friends who are Japanese will be like, oh my gosh, my grandmother has a modesty cloth. And it's like, it's a part of our culture. And I'm like, and you have, you know, your, your grandmother's like, yeah, my, my grandmother might as well be, you know, uh, Eastern Asian is the fact that she is because that kind of decorum and saving face and be, you know, those principles that are very Eastern, um, Eastern Asian kind of concepts. But I, you know, how are we not like, how are we in 2022? And how do you ladies think it works where like people can be culturally incompetent in today. It's like V, you said something earlier about like, how do you not know how to speak? Not not you particularly, but how do you not even want to learn how to speak Spanish? Like there are people yeah. who are like, I'm not learning that. I speak English. That's a, that's a language of this country. <laughs> um, I guess uh, I, lo- I love when people pull that argument because I'm just like, most people don't actually know what the official languages of their states are. And... like honestly most people don't um and they don't realize that most states are oh no you i think we lost kylie oh no she was about to give us some truth and wisdom yeah yeah she's still she's still going oh no baby girl oh no am i back yeah ursula took your voice girl you gotta start singing You were no, just getting ready to tell us about the lang- the why the, the people don't know the official no, language. Right, because they're like, oh, s- speak American, but they don't even know like the cultural, historical <laughs> basis of their states. I was like, well, maybe if you looked into these things, you would see that many treaties were drawn up to where uh, you can't just kill everybody, right? So th- there were some acquisitions definitely made. 
Um, but a lot of our states are multilingual. And so it doesn't make sense for you to be yeah. all hype on English talking about speak American when speaking American is recognizing that it's a multilingual nation. We're a multilingual country. Like there are plenty of states where English is not the only recognized language yeah. of the state. Like 100%. get over yourselves. Also, this is why the rest of the world thinks we're freaking ignorant because most people in other countries speak three languages and they exactly. just use English to get around. Like we're just so was the it, I mean I mean COVID already like kind of you know how like there was kind of like a hangnail about how ignorant we were like then someone got a hammer and said COVID <laughs> and now it's like embedded into the wall. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely true. That's another another thing around legitimacy though of like assimilation is seen as legitimacy, and I think you know my grandfather came to this country from Cuba to play baseball. I don't I'm not a first. Uh, uh, Spanish speaker, um, but because my grandfather was not allowed to, like it was just kind of like beaten out of him um, and very much like physically beaten out of him. And so you think about the fact of like, even to the point where like they, my grandfather changed his last name. So my mother doesn't know the origin of like, what is the official last name? Like, like there's the erasure. Exactly, it's erasure and like assimilation is not it. I like my organization says celebration of culture over assimilation. And I think, yeah, it has to be that. But, you know, we are erasing our history and erasing those things. But then it's like, but then we're asked to be to legitimize ourselves. And it's like, but when our legitimate documents and our, you know, those types of things are erased from history, very hard to legitimize yourself beyond a certain generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I just hate that there's a sense of erasure, beaten beating your religion or religion, beating your your ethnicity, your your language, your culture out of you to adjust so yeah. you don't get harmed. Like it's it's a whole yeah. last thing. Like I think about how even my I never heard my even my own grandfather who is Mexican never speak Spanish. Like he yeah. speaks English very like clearly and like yeah. clearly to a sense that it's acceptable in in most spaces here in America but I've never heard him speak Spanish and his kids his kids don't even speak Spanish that's like, enough I mean, yeah my mother no learned way but... to target someone right than literally yeah. hearing them speak another language and that's then, a, yeah that would that that understand what that is <laughs> It's almost like saying, oh, you're second class, you speak another language. It's another way to prevent you from, I mean, from having that legitimacy, like we're saying, it's another way of like stratifying you to, or segmenting you to be like, you're a part of this class because you don't speak this language. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, yeah, very sad on those moments too, because it's like you said, Kylie, there's, <laughs> I, I remember I dated this West African guy, was, was, he was, French a francophone and I remember like practicing with him and he'd be like you know what it's so funny like you Americans have such like like heavy tongues anyway like just there are certain things you aren't ever going to be able to say so just acknowledge that off oh. the bat you know there's just certain things yeah <laughs> I'm not gonna lie learning Spanish right now my tongue is clumsy clumsy like yeah. <laughs> like it's not fluid it doesn't even sound romantic I'm just like see sí, me llamo the Como te llamas? Prowess? 
Se ya, or te llamas prowess? Mucho gusto. <laughs> oh, God. You, you're at the Donde Esta La Biblioteca. That's the anglicized. But that's how it, you know. Everyone burn. starts somewhere. You yeah. will be good in no in time. In no time. Just, exactly. Honestly. And it's funny, too, because it's like the Spanish that we're taught, at least I can say in California, like the Spanish that we're taught is not anything that would be <laughs> usable. Like, truly conversationally um they they teach you like to be able to maybe like read and write scholastic papers but in a oh, conversation like a yeah Ooh, okay. it would be like really awkward <laughs> like it's really awkward so another um, stratification almost yeah. yeah that's interesting it's like a higher echelon spanish versus like what would actually be commonly used to communicate right weird um, but yeah, I, I <laughs> this was a lovely conversation. Yeah, <laughs> we ran the full gambit. Um, let's move on to nerdy and dirty. I'm really excited for this one because I didn't pick it this time, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Queen of the boudoir shoots prowess. You want to tell us what our nerdy and dirty <laughs> topic is? So th this was very much inspired by. Um, by the conversation from last week. And I and I mentioned that I went into a rabbit hole. I told Kylie, I sort of just started, you know, looking to see what was out there in terms of ways to um, do this on a high tech level. But then of course, there's always ways to do this because, you know, we don't always want to have high tech uh, experiences. Sometimes we want to have those low tech experiences. And I love the idea of there being sort of luxury jewelry. First of all, I'm a jewelry fan. I, 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 um, I love luxury jewelry. But the fact that there's like um, bound in like- in bougie. Right, I, yeah. I, I... It's high couture hedonism is what I called it. It's like, it's a way to be like, you know what, I can, I can wear something that is, um, you know, you, that is a collar or something that by day, you know, doubles as being like this really beautiful, you know, jewelry piece. And at night is part of my restraint um, or, you know, a wearable gag or something like that, that is like, you can, you can use in different ways. And I just love that. I was like, why is this not, why did I not know about this kind of stuff that um, luxury, luxury goes every, every way. But the fact that there's high, high fashion wearable kink is just, I love it. So yes, please. With with that, I, with that, <laughs> that I, I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> I'm looking it up to see. <laughs> I hear what you're saying, um, and but I haven't heard of that. And so I've seen like you know, jewelry where it's like you could. It looks like a necklace here, but once you take it off, it actually like, like you know, decorates the whole like body. And so like I've seen those. Um, I just found a picture of a vibrator necklace on Cosmo yeah. where it's like, it looks like a regular necklace, but then like, I guess it actually is a legit vibrator, but it's so tiny. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, you don't need too much to, oh, wait, actually it's not that tiny. It's actually bigger than I thought. That's right. what, she like, That's what <laughs> she said. Like the nipple clamps are the ones that are my favorite because it's like, there's like legit, like jewels and pearls and like some really elegant um gemstones and stuff that are you know being used in nipple clamps and 
um, that you can wear, you know, it, it's not something that you necessarily show in public, but it's like you're walking around with this really elegant jewelry. And it's kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing a, a four work wardrobe in an NSFW like environment. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm towing the line here. And I, I like the line. <laughs> Just the fact that like you can, you know, especially like a choker. Um, I love chokers and I, I, you know, there's so many pieces that are, uh, that have been developed around that for like everyday accessory, but at the, you know, again, that I can use it for, for pleasure. And I love the fact that it's like, it wasn't focused on, you know, couple focus. A lot of it was just that women wanted to be responsible for their own sexual pleasure. So they started developing a lot of this, um, these wearables and stuff and like things that even also like trigger erogenous zones. So they were talking about like fabric. So the, I know you, you had mentioned earlier um, in a previous episode about like, you don't like certain fabrics in lingerie. And so that's why, but there are certain fabrics that they will incorporate into like a, a thong or something because it strikes your, your erogenous zone in, in such a way, um, which I love. It's like, oh, you're wearing that. And it's kind of like, I'm getting this experience while I'm wearing this. And it doesn't have to feel like, you know, like rude or weird or, you know what I mean? I'm just having a conversation in the boardroom. A while back, we had done an episode on uh, like clitoral jewelry. And I love that this topic has brought it like all of that rushing right back to my memory. Um, One of my favorite things called I Know Why the Caged Clit Sings. <laughs> and it's what? like, yes, it's it's jewelry. It looks like a golden, like gilded chain thong. And then right above the vagina is like a gold cage and dripping or dangling is like a, a gold drop that would actually like hit your clit when you walk. Oh, and yeah. so it's just like so pretty, um, but also functional. And I was just like, who are these like freaks on the leash? Designers out here <laughs> who are like creating these like it's works of art. And oh, and to be clear, I want to be very clear before somebody yes, be pings clear. us with like community guidelines. I posted a napkin that shows the clitoral jewelry. Yeah. So before someone gets yeah. mad being like, oh my God, it's nude. No, it's a napkin. It's literally a napkin. You guys can look on the it's Twitch. You can look on the Twitch channel right now. It is a napkin. It is a napkin. I see that. <laughs> it's, it's beautifully napkin. folded and, and, um, and, and the jewelry just rests there and it looks gorgeous. Yeah, it looks like, it looks, I can reflect on what it might look like on me. <laughs> And yeah. I think, like, this is a great alternative to, like you said, like, either, like, oh actually having to have a piercing or, right. um, like, is it bedazzling? Your... Do you guys oh, remember yeah. when that was a thing? Um, yes, I do. Wait, people are bedazzling their, their, their clits? Their bedazzling. The, the they were bedazzling. The JJ, it was the bedazzling or whatever to, to enhance the, you know, the look and the aesthetic of of your 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 beauties. Who needs a pubic hair? Just just crystal it. Swarovski crystal the whole thing. It, yeah, luxury <laughs> doll. These are crystals. <laughs> I think of Rihanna yeah. like that. That was like peak, the dress. 
It was peak. Oh yeah. That's the, that's the thing too. It's like, this is something when I, so as I was going down the rabbit hole, which is so interesting is that there's a lot of designers who do like luxury bondage and luxury, um, you know, just different harnesses and that kind of thing that are overseas. Um, so it's some, of course, you know, you, you're the most of the, the companies were like all in like France or Germany or Australia, even it's very interesting that the majority of the liberated places. Yeah. Yeah. That here was like in California, but there wasn't until like, you, you're not going to like Holyoke, Massachusetts and find perhaps like, um, you know, these pieces. So it's, you know, and, and it, or it was like covenized, you know, when you're like, you go into like that place that the CD place that no one goes, and it's like, you have these luxury pieces. Why that is it more sticky? I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. 2000 bucks for it should not be in a, like in a CD, you know, that, that unsavory place or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's like, I saw like a $2,000 bondage lasso or something like that. Um, that shouldn't be in the unsavory, you know, a place where you're like, oh, I gotta be quiet. Like that's a that's a Dutch jewelry. That's you know, <laughs> someone is going to get the idea at some point to like I'm going to propose with nipple clamps, you know, or <laughs> so I have something to bring up. Yes, like yes. about this whole talk about like how it's like we, I know we're specifically talking about like jewelry that kind of hits the erogenous zones, so it's kind of like mm -hmm. subtle, but it's subtle makes you feel a certain type of way, like a sense of prowess uh, but, like, yeah. but also like I feel like there's always been a sense of sexualization with jewelry as a whole not saying like all jewelry is sexual but there's always some sort of like leaning in about jewelry about how like it brings you it the person who sees it there's like a sense of imagination or like arousal in general so you like know why that is for us like but every now kiss begins with k right exactly every kiss begins with k <laughs> like you know and kissing is like what people forget like people think like kissing is so innocent which it can be but kissing has like like different meanings and different contexts of what it is so like when kissing is also sexual it's like jewelry and kissing i don't think that's you just kissing your kids to bed i think like jewelry and kissing that leads on to other things you know what i mean like yes. so like I'm, I'm curious to know like if we're seeing like jewelry is like directly on the places where we see as erogenous like what else has been like previously erogenous to people that we've had to kind of i guess there's like i don't know i guess my my question is how did we get to a point where like the neck and the ankle which usually has jewelry those used to be like sexual points of the body like what yeah. how how did we transition here to be more direct Ooh, i think it was oh. literally because um you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't really show them you know what i mean like back in the day yeah. or at least if we're going by um more like, like european standards but even we, looking at like um, beaded jewelry and things in Africa like it's always been to accentuate um, erogenous zones right you want to pay attention like if we look at waist beads right like 
yes, there are some holistic uh, aspects and spiritual aspects to waist beads, but it's also calling attention to, hey, look at my waist and hip ratio. Mm-hmm. These are things that you should find attractive. These are like good breeding qualities or like, yeah, look, look at my cleavage. Oh, I'm funny and I have these. <laughs> like, um, just like different ways or like, oh, my collarbone is just like, Mm, it's an acceptable um it gives you an out it's like socially acceptable for me to comment on your earrings right and on your necklace it might not be socially acceptable for me to be like your breasts are looking lovely today or like oh i'm really enjoying the curve of your neckline like it's looking very soft supple and inviting um jewelry allows you girl look at that that conversation (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean like oh girl your ankles is looking good today show a little ankle baby work it like skirts used to have to be however long (laughs) yeah that's funny that 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 we've gotten in that world now that like yeah you can have a skirt that is much shorter or back then when you can only have those small amounts of skin shown and you're like um i was watching i love lucy the other day and and noticing you know it's the 50s they slept in separate beds which is also a, a whole another separate issue around like the depiction of sex on tv and in you know in that in that era but like the fact that like little things of how they would have to show that Lucy was sexy, right? Or show like she was supposed to be sexy more than Ethel was. And so you could kind of see it in some of the jewelry and some of the things that she would wear. Um, she had like refined taste. Cause remember she kind of liked to spend money and Ricky didn't like that. Um, <laughs> so it was just interesting of like, yeah, we've progressed in a world of now being able to have to really wear my, you know, express that in a in a way that you're not judged by it i love that i love it too i also think it's just um like low-key the way kinksters used to communicate back in the day is like oh you really want to see this girl's feet like get her some toe jewelry <laughs> get her an anklet like you need you got to show it off so like if you want to be lost wait so you're sauce... saying jewelry jewelry was motivated by the men gaze that was invented. Oh, I yes, I definitely think, and I, I feel like you could tell in the design of certain, certain items jewelry. what has yeah. definitely been like. Oh, a man. I feel like a lariat this. necklace for sure. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm right. I really want to know. Like, I mean, I'm not gonna look it up right now because I'm lazy. But like, I want to know if like jewelry was something that like men started to see certain yeah, assets of women. Also, part of like dowries and things. Like, yeah, you were literally yeah, buying the lady. Yeah, and it's like a power statement too of, oh, um, if you can walk around with these jewels on and you have this wealth, like you are also able to protect this person and provide for this person. It goes. Yeah, it and goes I, really that, deep. that could be seen. I'm so a couple a couple before the pandemic, I was getting a DJ lesson, and my waist beads came like came out of my because I was leaning over, you know, you and I could I I think in that moment he was a little bit like coming on to me and I wasn't but I could feel that he was kind of figuring out like oh that means right because you're showing me some intimate thing on you I should if I'm seeing it yeah like you didn't hide that and I wasn't really trying to get his gaze but you know at the same time it was like sir it's because I'm bending over and I've got like or whatever 
<laughs> I mean, honestly, though, I, I mean, we're curvy. all people and we're all sexual. And so, like, when, when someone of, uh, if we're attracted to somebody and we bend over a certain way, they're going to look, whether if it's like they're going to make exactly. the move or not. It's just a matter yeah. of like handling that. The bend <laughs> and snap. <laughs> I wasn't trying to bend and snap. I wasn't I'm just really bending. trying to. Yeah. Bend and I'm snap. I love legally blonde. Shout out. Yes. <laughs> I'm just drawn that way. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I love it. I hope that there is more. It, it made me think of like what my goal was next was to find out if there was any um, black jewelry, like uh, luxury uh, jewelry designers who were into this space because it is very heavily dominated. The fine jewelry, uh, kink jewelry is dominated, not, not by us, of course, but mostly by international um, East European um, designers. So it's like, even if there's some US state, like there, there's gotta be more than like, you don't have to go to a place based in Spain mm -hmm. to come in. And like, it shouldn't be shamed and disgraceful. So hopefully people will. That's the point that we want you to, you know, think about is the pleasure in body chains and whether you have a clitoral vibrator or whatever. Uh, I love the fact that they've now got the like quartz, uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, penetrative vibrators and stuff that are like all rose quartz and stuff it's like or you know you have um you know stones that you can you can insert or kegel exercises all kinds right, of stuff the yoni yeah. eggs yeah yes yoni, yoni eggs terrify me like <laughs> do they? yeah why do they terrify you they terrify me because like it's gonna get lost it's gonna go lost yeah <laughs> Lay that egg, baby. Lay <laughs> that egg. <laughs> it's good for you, like not even just on a um, sexual front, but just like on a health and wellness front. It really is good. Not anti to that. Floor. And um, like some of these things, I think it's funny because we like separate sexual health from just like regular health. And it's like, no, it's all the same thing. Like some of these things. Um, that we put in a purely sexual category, I feel like um, we only do that because we don't have like outside cultural references. But a lot of this is like ancient knowledge and ancient practices that have been used for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, um, like well into people's you know old age is just like part of keeping them healthy and, and alive and part of yeah. being healthy and alive is, is having pleasure as, as well as all of the other things that come with Our life. experience. So, yeah. yeah. I think people need to stop like demonizing anything that is sexual because it's unfamiliar ridiculous. territory and I acknowledge yeah. that. Yes. <laughs> Yoni eggs for me. <laughs> That's all I gotta say to, to that. That's all I gotta okay. say to that. <laughs> Well, um, thank you so much, Prowess. Um, I really enjoy just listening to you um, bask in your luxury. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Yes. When I come when I come next week, I will have some some pieces. Yes, please um, please come with your pieces. Um, <laughs> let's, did let's you guys hear that of, on the next episode right? of Lady Blurt Sings the Clues? There's gonna be some pieces. Yes. Jewelry. All right. Trip, if you will. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on to just nerdy. So Mario Day just happened. Yee -hee, let's go. Um 
So Mario Day just happened. It was on March 10th. Uh, something that we wanted to chat about is just like how the Mario franchise has influenced us as being nerdy. Um, personally for me, Mario was one of those games that I first started into when I was a kid. I played Mario 64. I played the Super Nintendo Mario. Um, my favorite one is uh, the Mario game where you get to be either Mario, Luigi, Peach, or Toad. And you get yeah. to like take roots out from the ground and like throw them at people, which I thought was like kind of like a cool feature. And Peach had that like lovely ability where you can like float everywhere. So, um, but yeah, like I think it's kind of cool that like Mario has lasted like beyond the years of our existence. And so like we kind of wanted to celebrate that. So yeah, like, like I said, um, my favorite game was the one that I just mentioned. Um, if anybody remembers what that game is called, say it in the chat. I can't remember which specific one because all the names kind of blend in with each other. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Prowess, what are you Probably thinking? You do remember from that because, uh, yeah. <laughs> My son probably knows. I have to go, like, uh, he, he's still asleep because he, like, studies all every single Mario game. Um, and he even, like, like I said, he gets into, like, Miyamoto and Charles Martinet like he's really into the history of Mario which is I keep calling it as like the Michael Jackson of 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 video gaming um because that yes. character is so iconic that like what age no matter your age no matter where you're from in the world that you probably have played some variation of of Mario whether or or some predecessor you either played Super Mario or Donkey Kong or um, Star Fox or something like that. You've played some predecessor. So it's like, it's it's interesting that we're still in that space and like, you know, reminding, like my son will tell me like, did you know it was originally a carpenter? It's like, yeah, I know that. And Bowser <laughs> was a fox. And like, <laughs> he, he's really into like the trivia. And I think like how, how sweet is that for like kids who are, you know, didn't grow up in, in the the 90s and played you know any of these games really in the way that we played them because now it's totally different um platforms are different so if you didn't play super mario 64 or whatever you didn't you you have no sense like they don't make some of these anymore so it's just interesting like you're going back to do the research on like mm -hmm. yeah you know what a paratrooper is or whatever and you know, having having kids celebrate that I think is so important. So I I hope that people will continue to celebrate Mario Day in like, the future. Speaking of trivia, um, so <laughs> because I didn't actually like play um, mm -hmm. Mario, like I I didn't know Mario Day was like even a thing, and yeah. I just so when we brought up this topic, I was just like, oh, let me like learn some things, and I thought it was super cute that it's like. Mario Day is March 10th because it looks like Mario. Yeah. Um, they had like their official start, uh, at least Mario did in like 2016, and every year they've done something like fantastical. Um, I think was it one of these years they had designed like a bunch of like hospital gowns for kids and like donated a bunch. So it was like, oh, for the Starlight Children's Foundation, um, and like put a bunch of their proceeds to like kids in need and like every year they do something whether it's just like discounts or like finding ways to like integrate themselves with like Animal Crossing or like coming out with more like downloadable content or just like finding quirky ways to like you said like 
reach out to this new generation working with like Lego sets or or like doing these like refreshers because um, yeah. it is like it is how like mind-boggling when you think of like how much history and how how much of a legacy this game has I didn't even personally play that often but it definitely was a soundtrack like in my youth when I was at my friend's house everyone else was playing right it's almost like there'll be things where I'll recognize I'll be like where do I know that from and I'm like oh like I was three years old I, I recognize this thing and so it's like funny how part of like integrated into culture it becomes where you don't even like recognize they're like oh this is this is the thing so yeah, yeah. Mario Day did you know? Oh, please. Yeah. Share with us your Mario day. What did you do? Did you put 120 stars? There was a Super Mario themed bar here, specifically for like Super Mario. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the bar. But anyway, it's uh, it was very cool while it was open. I very much enjoyed it. It was like 8-bit question blocks. Um, it, it, they had mushrooms hanging from the ceiling. The cocktail, like I had, was like it's a me, a Mario. Um, all the wait staff was was dressed in like their suspenders and their um, their hats, their Luigi and Mario hats. It was and the mustaches. It was very cool. Um, I very much enjoyed it, and I was so sad that, of course, in the pandemic, those kinds of things don't survive. Um, but yeah, the nostalgia you feel when you come into a place like that, it's like more more themed things like that, like that make us feel good. I just felt like I wanted to cry when I got in the space, you know, felt good. Yeah, the only thing I really want from Mario Day is like finally that Nintendo makes Bowsette canon. <laughs> yes. Because because yeah. like the whole series of Bowsettes and other Ets, like Booette and and just there was Booette, there was Piranhaette, there was all the Ets. And I'm like, oh, there was a Bombette. I think it was Bombette or Chompette. Chompette. Like, I fell in love with that. And so, like, I just I really wish that Nintendo would have just said, alright, we see all the fan art, let's just make it canon. But no, they didn't. So someday someday it will happen but maybe someday. not today she needs a waifu crown folks give it to her Bowsette give her her flowers give <laughs> in, in Bouette too we see you and Chompette we see you but especially Bowsette yeah I think what would be fun is just to watch Daisy and Bowsette just go at it cause like I feel like that would be the rivalry like, because Daisy's a bad bitch. She's like, do you want to go ape shit? Are you tired of being nice? That meme, at, like, sends me. Every single time I see it, I'm just like, that's my favorite meme where it's like Daisy is enabling some bullshit with, da with Peach. And then it's like, yeah, Daisy is the chaotic good. Like, I love it. Daisy's <laughs> good. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it real quick so that way people, folks know while we transition into the next part because we're actually getting into some closing aspects of today's episode. We really appreciate everybody's time today. Thank you for stopping by. We saw some family. We saw some Mark Cooper. We saw some Mark Cooper. I'm pretty sure I saw Devane tune in real quick, but of course he would make his arrivals sneaky sneaky um, without even telling us. 
So that's uh, and, pro and, and thank you so much, Agent Smith, for, for dropping in. Like I, I just yeah, salute to the Dirty Old Men. It's like one of my favorite producers uh, out of Chicago. Hell yeah. <laughs> So shout outs to the fam. Thank you guys for coming out here. So for, I believe for nerdy, no, not nerdy, dirty. Oh my God, we're not going backwards. <laughs> for Big Move Monday, we got a treat, a beautiful Belgium woman. Priors, I'm actually going to let you do the honors because she is your friend. She yes. So listen, there are few people I feel like in the world that can can be all things, be good at all things, right? There, that is just not a thing. But Ryako, um, Asian American Bel uh, woman from from the West Coast, who actually uh, moved to Belgium um, a few years ago, um, she is. I love the fact that not only is she like a nerd, but she's also she's a cat lover, and uh, cats are very special to her. Her musical journey. Um, but she it's also, right. the fact she writes great music, she produces great music, she performs all and records all her own stuff. She is a composer. Um, one of my favorite pieces that she's done is the Metropolis Revamped, um, where she actually takes the film Metropolis and scores it. And it is like, it is the Fritz Lang silent film masterpiece I don't know how you can get much doper, but it's like she makes it orchestral, but hip hop, drum and bass. She has some electronica in there. Um, it is, it's pretty, it's like, it's just something out of like, how was this person not like on the top of everybody's list by now? I don't know. Um, so yeah, the I, I will read to you that Riako um, is Asian American Belgian, one woman band based in Bruges, Belgium. Uh, she writes, produces, and like I said, performs primarily nerd-inspired electronic and hip-hop music, but also enjoys blending that with other genres in order to create something different and unique. She performed for the first time at the unofficial Nerdcore Showcase and side events at South by Southwest in March 2019, and is looking for new opportunities to grow and expand, and has been interviewed by Fandomania and Crash Chords, and her music is featured on geek podcasts such as The Joyride with Vadal Gabriel and Radio Free Hipster with Geek Dad, um, and of course with, with Lady Blur sing the blues. Um, but what I love the most in, in, in celebration of Women's History Month is she is a composer of original scores and that is something that is not very much dominated by women of color. Not at all. It really um, isn't. Like, yeah. She's the Bjork of our generation. Yes. You know what I mean? Someone who yes. is like tying together multimedia, um, orchestral yeah. pieces, electronic, visual arts, like... Yep killer stunner yeah she does her own art she does her own videos like she just it's like like i said what is that there that she can't do and, and she also is just an amazing person i got a chance to meet her when she came uh to do discon which is a science science fiction convention that's uh, held across the world but it came to dc this year and she uh they did a q a for metro metropolis her her, her score and showed the film and so anyway just also like a really incredible person um which you can't you know how all these things combined you forget about that right but some people are just really, really damn good people so so we salute you Riako. um we are looking forward to having you on the show soon but thank you so much for being a voice and, and really charging ahead and shattering the gauge in every way possible that you can as a woman in this space 
Yes. Yes. I can't wait to officially meet her. Like, <laughs> I know it's hard to, it's hard to like, you know, to get to know folks who are out, out of the country. Um, but reasonably so because of time, just yeah. the time differences are always just like out of whack. I have a homegirl in Spain that I try to like link with and it's been hard cause it's like, it's 1am for her. And then it's like two o'clock for me. And then it's like 1am for me where it's two o'clock for her. So it's, it's a mess. Uh, but no, I can't wait to like officially meet her. And then her whole like thing with her, her collaboration with uh, Kadesh Flow for VPC last year was incredible. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. incredible. So yes, yeah. I am, I am very like lucky to experience her music to say the least. All right. Uh, so big move Monday, Kylie, I will let you go ahead and go in on that. Kylie. There we go. Sorry, I glitched. Um, yes, yeah, so our call to action was just going to be to uh, demand that the Department of Justice investigate Governor Abbott. He's in Texas. Um, he was pushing forward with a bunch of just anti-trans legislation that would allow Child Protective Services to intervene in families who were um, seeking medical care for their trans children uh, to the extent that he, he was even going after medical providers, you know, um, for providing this care, for providing not just, um, you know, gender affirming care, but even like uh, psychosocial services, like going to therapy. They're literally using this as a basis of um, child abuse, which is wild and intervening in such a private family decision um, that would like impact, you know, like rates of just depression um, and like ideations of suicide in youth over a political standpoint, I think is so gross. And it's such um, a huge major violation of people's civil human rights. Yes. Um, so please, uh, you can go to uh, atadvocacy.com um, slash Texas dash trans. We'll put the link up. Um, and it's basically, you know, just please investigate this man. There have been judges in Texas that um, have been able to overturn some of these trials and cases that have been brought up so far. I think it's been 10 families um, who have had to fight back. Um, and face these cases of child abuse um, and neglect. And so we're trying to keep that from, you know, becoming a statewide um, tool that would be used to further target and isolate these families. Um, so yes, please show your support. Humans deserve happiness. And if you think that your child needs care that will keep them happy, healthy, and alive on this earth. It's your prerogative as a parent to do whatever you have to do to make sure that your family is healthy and happy. And we shouldn't let rich old people <laughs> decide what that looks like. Rich, um, old, so disconnected yeah. people who've been comfortable well, with their whole lives navigating <laughs> the way that they've been navigating, that they don't see like a difference in culture. They see it as a threat, not a yeah. not a benefit or a success of people. Like it's just disgusting. 
Yes, I hear you 100%. Thank you, Kylie, for dishing the deets on that. Um, so yes, at advocacy.com slash Texas dash trans. Let's stop having people in office who think it's okay to, you know, make decisions for the future when literally they're at the end. If anything should be done with their careers. Let's just be real. Get them out. Yeah. Get them out. <laughs> Get them out. Make them leave. <laughs> All right. So that actually kind of gets to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for listening today. Appreciate those who have chimed in. Thank you. Thank you. Big hearts to y'all for being here, keeping the streams motivated and filled with love. We appreciate it. Uh, you can catch us again on Thursdays on Twitter. We have a space where we kind of shoot the shit with some of our friends and fam. So uh, please go ahead and make sure that you check that out at Lady Blurred's pod on Twitter, since we now have a Twitter page. You could also check for any updates and shenanigans as well on um, on Instagram at Lady Blurred's Podcast. You can follow along on the Facebook page. It's a little dormant these days, but we do have a Lady Blurred's Podcast page on, on Facebook. Um, and then also find any of our catalog and recordings on SoundCloud, uh, Apple Pods, and Spotify, you name it, whatever is your favorite listening outlet for podcasts so yeah that kind of ends our episode today i'm here sometimes we got prowess the testament and kylie too smart and we'll catch you guys next time thank you everyone bye, 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 bye.